0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton.
1: You're listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by
0: the
2: Wharton School. Welcome back. This is Catherine Klein on Dollars and Change,
1: and I'm Nick Ashburn.
2: And we are having another great show. It is, you know, it is such a joy. It's so much fun for us to get to host, co-host this show. We get to learn so much. We talk with interesting, you know, interesting guests. With it's been a great, a great hour. It has flown by. I, the, you know, I'm, I am wonky. It's true. I'm a professor. I'm enjoying talking to our fascinating colleagues. First, it was uh, at the beginning of the show was Min Wan Zhao talking about corporate philanthropy, a topic we're coming back to in this half hour. And then just now, talking with Gina South, a colleague in the medical school here, about the work she's been doing. So fascinating uh, insights about social impact, and you know, very much linked to the key themes we just talk a lot about in the show about. You know, moving moving capital to to make a difference in the world and how you do that. So, Absolutely. Yeah, really interesting. So uh, we're going to be talking in this uh, half hour with Jessica Edelman. She's the Group Vice President of Corporate Affairs at the Kroger Company. She's the president of the Kroger uh, Foundation and really uh, – um, well, it's interesting. I'm sitting here looking at her bio. This is a, a very clear link to what we were talking about with Min-Wan Zhao. Um, she serves as a senior officer, chief corporate affairs officer, and, preg- and president of the Kroger Foundation while focusing on reputation management. So clearly a link to the, the good that the Kroger Foundation is trying to do, but also building the reputation of the the. Company itself. We'll talk to her more about this. Uh, her t- responsibilities include external communications and brand public relations, environmental
1: sustainability,
2: social responsibility, media, government, and regulatory affairs, crisis management. That's cause- a lot. Cause marketing and corporate ph- philanthropy and community relations. How
1: do you keep track of all of That's that? That's a lot. We're going to have to ask lot. her. That's
2: a lot of buzzwords uh, and uh, you know and a lot of impact. And she is part of the team that has developed the Kroger Kroger's Zero Hunger Zero Waste Plan. So. Without further ado, Jessica, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Catherine and Nick. Thank you for having me on Dollars and Change. I appreciate it. That is great. So just in case folks don't really know much about the Kroger Company, let's get people situated. It's a retailing company. It's it's uh, old. It's been around for over 100 years. Uh, and it's big. So uh, just a, a quick, uh, what's your soundbite when, you, when people happen to not really know what the Kroger Company is?
0: Sure, absolutely. Yes, I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that uh, Kroger is America's largest grocer. We are $122 billion in the last fiscal year, and um, that makes us a Fortune 17 company. Wow. We're number 17 on the Fortune 500 list, and the reason people may not know. Kroger per se is we operate under several different banners. Mm-hmm. So if you're on the East Coast, nothing in Pennsylvania, sadly, where our where our home school hails from, um, we do have a couple of dairies and things up there. But if you're on the East Coast, it's principally Harris Teeter markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, through the Midwest, we tend to operate under the Kroger banner, and then as you get further out west, you have our stores that are Smiths or Frys. Um, King Supers in Colorado, and then on the West Coast, we have Fred Meyer and Ralph and a couple other banners out there. So it's really you know, the, the size and scale surprises people, um, certainly because uh, they may know their local grocery store under a different name. But um, we're also America's third largest employer. It kind of oscillates back and forth. America's,
2: so have, wait a minute, third largest employer. Wow. That's right. There oh, are
0: 453 wow. amazing uh, associates who work at the Kroger Cove. So, you know, all in all, it's just a massive footprint uh, that people don't don't fully appreciate. So it has been really exciting for me. I've always been in the food and agriculture space and Getting to now understand and know retail and really understand how America Eats and how uh, families and communities operate around the table is really exciting.
2: Uh, so, uh, Jessica, you're a, a Wharton alum. you got your MBA here, uh, and we always love having our alumni on the show. Tell us just briefly about your path from, you know, how does one, and I think you've spent 20 years at uh, the um in the food industry, how does one get a position? What's the, what does that path look like? Um, I know our students are all, you know, we have a, a, an awful lot of students who are very interested in careers and, and social impact, however they define it. Uh, clearly, you're, you, you have such a position. How does one get to where you are?
0: Yeah, so it was a bit of a convoluted path, but uh, I suppose all of our ours are right. in some way or the other. I actually grew up in Washington D.C., which is pretty atypical. Nobody's ever from D.C., but uh, both my parents were public servants, mm. and um, you know they they had us growing up in the D.C. metro area. I left for college, where I went um, actually up to Dartmouth, up in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, uh, we were supposed to take a freshman seminar, and there were two choices, and I decided to take the seminar that was called St. Petersburg, City of Doom, um, which, you know, wasn't very uplifting in a long New England winter. But I had heard that the Russian literature classics were amazing and decided to, you know, curl up by the fire up there and read a few Russian lit books. And um, As one does. <laughs> as one does when one is an undergraduate, right? Um, and we hope. That you Actually, I think that's That's right. All the practicality in the world. Um, So I didn't intend to to fall in love with it as much as I did. And all of a sudden, I just got drawn into the history of Russia and the culture, the arts, etc., through the lens of some of these amazing authors, whether it was Tolstoy or Dostoevsky, etc., and I came home that holiday break, and I said to my parents, um, you know, I think I want to be a Russian major, which I can only imagine strikes terror in the heart of all parents <laughs> as they're sending their kids off to fancy educations, right? Um, and they would look at me and said, well, what are you going to do with that? And I said, well, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll figure it out on the back end. Um, and went ahead and, and threw myself into being a Russian major. And as time wore on and we got close to the end of uh, college, everybody was going off and taking some prototypical paths, whether it was investment banking or consulting or other jobs. And, um, again, I just sort of said, well, maybe I'll follow through on that threat or commitment. It depends on where you were sitting uh, to move to Russia. And I went ahead and did that, and I sent my resume to every U.S. company with a Moscow office mm-hmm. um, and had a couple different options there. But um, I think I ended up choosing the one that I had, threw a ticket home in as part of a, a package. Um, I thought, well, it would be nice to come
2: back at some point. <laughs> Your <Yeah. laughs> parents just, were probably uh, happy about that.
0: That's right. That's right. It wasn't an, only a one-way ticket. But um, I took a job with Monsanto and didn't understand or know what they did at all. And I I showed up in in Russia and said, well, what do we do here? And they said, agriculture. And I thought, oh, no. Um, (laughs) This is a a topic I know absolutely nothing about, particularly coming from a city. Uh, But what I loved through that experience was getting to understand the food supply chain. And nothing will make you appreciate how good we have it here in the U.S., which is the gold standard for food safety, availability, and choice. Uh, When you go to the grocery store um, here in the U.S., growing up this way, we just take it for granted. And living in a country where you see barren shelves where you see what was done to the agricultural landscape and collective agriculture and the practices and how, how difficult it can be for the environment, um, you know, that really hit home for me. And I realized that we were not going to feed the billions of people and not destroy the planet at the same time if we didn't approach it in a totally different way. So that was very eye-opening, and then from there, I kind of needed a way back to the U.S. I was there during the financial crisis of 1998. I distinctly remember being in a restaurant, and when I went in, my dinner would have cost you know probably 20 bucks, and by the time I walked out, it was a few a few bucks because of the devaluation of the ruble
2: that happened.
0: Yeah, while we were sitting there, I remember we had to leave that weekend and go to Ireland to, to get to an ATM. That had Mm. money. Mm. So, you know, it's one thing, I think, to watch a country fall apart on um, CNN or whatever news channel you watch. Um, It's another thing to be in it and uh, watching it happen. So that was also a pretty formative experience. Um, But that's when I decided that being a Russian major was great. I had ambitions to to change the world and do things and do it through business. Um, But uh, I was not qualified in the least. And everybody in the mid-90s was going back to business school. So that was when I decided to you know, send my application into a couple places. I decided on Wharton because it offered the Wharton Lauder Program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So great I program. Do, yeah, great program. And to um, do the dual degree, keep up my language skills, maintain my passion for international affairs, uh, but then also become the quant jock of my dreams so that I wanted to you know, earn my stripes in, in that space. And just had a wonderful experience at Wharton. Um, and while I was there, I you know, took the normal path. And that summer, I split my summer between a consulting firm but then also a company that actually made real things. Um, you know, I had I had two conflicting emotions, which was I loved the intellectual stimulation of consulting and um, getting to work on big projects. But I also wanted that tangible outcome where you could – See, touch, and feel, and then own the results, rather than just hand off the deck to somebody else. So, um, I split my summer between consulting and the Ford Motor Company, which was hmm. a very tangible mm-hmm. product. They actually gave me a little car to to drive around. I lived in London, um, and drove on the other side. And imagine my surprise when you know I got in the car and the stick shift was on the other side too. Um, but uh, oh, I I,
1: you think- know, I'm only I. I think I can only eat with my left hand. I don't think I can drive a stick with my left.
0: Exactly. I, you know, I, I knew enough to go to the other side of the car and get in. Um, but I was, I don't know what I was expecting. I, probably an automatic by that point. But um, it was a stick shift and the stick was there. And then I started thinking, oh, no, if the pedals are reversed, I'm really in trouble. Here. Oh, my God. Right? Because yeah. you spend your whole life, you know, learning a certain, your brain is wired a certain way. But luckily the pedals were there. All thing. right. So um, that was, you know, I think my parents did have a little bit of stress driving with me that summer um, when they came over to visit. I think as, as did everyone, frankly. Um, but it was okay. It worked pretty well. Um, but then I came back and, you know, had all the, the traditional choices, wonderful choices that the Wharton School affords, affords its graduates um, available to me upon leaving. And um, I got an offer with Cargill and Cargill has a great and post-MBA program where it's, it's like an internal Skunk Works, and they have a bunch of McKinsey people that they had poached away ages ago um, to build an internal consulting shop but then you ultimately get to go out and implement the results. So it was really the perfect blend of what it was that I was looking for. Um, so I picked up with um, actually one other Wharton Water grad and uh, we moved to Minneapolis and uh, took that took that job with Cargill, where I was for seven years, which was amazing, um, because I got back into agriculture, I got back into the supply chain, I got to see what happened to the crops when they came out of the ground, and how did they become food, actually, um, which was fascinating. And uh, I did that for seven years, and then had a great opportunity to run the Washington office and lead Corporate Affairs for North America for Syngenta, which is which is another agrochemical and agribusiness company, a Swiss company. So I got to do the multinational thing again for another seven-year stint. And then my phone rang, and um, here we are in Cincinnati a, a little while later. That is,
2: that is great. Uh, so, yeah. so, <laughs> fascinating trip from from Russia to the food industry.
1: Yes, and, and Jessica, you're going to have to – if I ever get to meet you in person, which I'd love to get you back – come back to Wharton uh, sometime, I'm going to have to ask you about something a professor I had once said. I studied international political economy, and he said the reason communism fell was because the grain trucks in Russia didn't have tailgates. Mm. So, so, but
2: but are we gonna get into this now? No, we're, we're not. We're not gonna get it. <laughs> but I, you're gonna
1: have to dispute or explain that for me. So, I'm um, gonna I, I well, give you time to, you to think about this. Yes, I love
2: that. Well, and
0: maybe what he was after. You know, there's so many absurdities when you're over there. Um you know you hear all these great stories of the Soviet Union where they made the the right shoe at one factory and they made the left shoe right. at another factory yeah. and you know i could I could see a, a command and planned economy where they created the trucks but then nobody you know Thought to put the the backs on them,
1: right? Um, something like that, exactly. Like
0: that. Yeah. Or there was oftentimes things went missing. Was the other big thing that I noticed. Interesting.
1: In, yeah. yeah. So and been so a couple things. <laughs> and Jessica, so I'm thinking about my my hometown. Actually, I grew up with Dillon's. So which is a Kroger company. Yeah. And I am a Kansas guy. And I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, which had Kroger. And I was like, wait, these are the same things. And so that was was surprising to me. So, again, thinking about the breadth of of the Kroger company, Catherine rattled off a litany of responsibilities that you have. So given the sheer size and reach of Kroger, you know, how do you think about impact? Mm-hmm. You know, we're, you know this show is about business and impact, and you have some new initiatives, but, like, what? <laughs> how, how do you even wrap your head around that?
0: Yeah, yeah that, that is a great question, and I, I heard Catherine say, that's a lot of buzzwords in there, and I, I think you're absolutely right, Catherine. Um, you know, my sometimes people say, how do you wrap your head around it? Sometimes I get the question, how do you sleep at night? Mm. <laughs> um, you know, because if you think about the fact that we have 450,000 associates out there, making decisions every minute of the day and in our case many of our stores are 24 hours
2: wow.
0: yeah. uh, we have nine plus million people who come into to a Kroger store every day at some point um, somewhere in that mix you know, life happens, right? Um, and all sorts of interesting things happen at our store because they're effectively public spaces. And mm-hmm. same, same with the parking lots. You know, you add a you add a parking lot in. Um, that's the wild card. I usually everything that happens in the parking lot falls into the category of it may not be our fault, but it's now our problem. Um, you know, so mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of humanity and cross section of life that happens out there in in the world of Krogerland. Um, and the portfolio is huge because of that. In in many ways, um, people are so passionate about their food. They are so passionate about their communities. And if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we are talking about the fundamental thing um, that people need. And it's so much more too. It's how people commune. It's how people connect. It's mm-hmm. it's bringing people together. So. What I was incredibly lucky when I came to Kroger was the history and the assets that had been left to me because of the people who had gone before me at this amazing organization. They were a really solid set of assets. I I liken it to a hand of poker. And we had a great – we were dealt – I was dealt a great hand when I took this job. Look, we were a founding member of Feeding America. We were there on day one Mm -hmm. when Feeding America started in the mid-'70s. We had already committed to becoming a zero-waste company by 2020. And, in fact, 34 of our 36 manufacturing plants are already zero-waste, which is just a massive achievement.
2: So Uh, let me have you interject there – so, um, and, and a reminder that we're talking with Jessica Edelman, the Group Vice President of Corporate Affairs at the Kroger Company. Um, so, zero waste. Tell us, because uh, we, we talk about waste in the food industry mm-hmm. in different ways. We may be talking about wasted food, food that's thrown away. But what are you speaking, when you talk about zero waste in your, uh, in your plants, what are you referring to?
0: Yeah. So the definition that we use is you know typically tracks along the EPA definition, which is ninety percent plus of weight divers or diversion from landfill. Um, so when we look at our plants that so we donate and we deal with waste across the hierarchy of, you know, first it should go to people, then it should go to animals, mm. then it should go to back to the planet slash composting. Um, and finally to a landfill as the last resort. So if you divert 90-plus percent from landfill, then you qualify as a zero-waste facility. Mm
1: -hmm. Interesting. And so, Jessica, you said you inherited, you know, there was a long-standing track record of, of participating in feed, Feeding America. You, you know, the, the Zero Waste Initiative was achieving results, and you got that. But sort of thinking about moving forward, I'm I'm seeing in my notes, you know, that there's a $10 million innovation fund, you know, that you, you're thinking about or you're about to launch. What What are you excited about in sort of moving forward? What's the innovation fund?
0: Yeah. No, yeah, and that's absolutely right. So we were dealt a great hand. We just had to play the hand um, and play it forward. Uh, So we knew that we had something big here. We also knew that increasingly in a polarized country and and society uh, where there is now a vacuum of moral authority, and if you go and look at the Edelman Trust Barometer, for example, which is the proxy of society and how we feel right now in america for for many of us in, in such my an field. In tr-
2: such an interesting index the edelman. such uh, an interesting yeah index. yeah the edelman i'll just I'll, I'll, uh, just uh, interject it's the edelman trust index uh, edelman has an impressive website on this they track you know trust in government trust in business trust in nonprofits and Ed- is this
1: the marketing firm or edelman or is it a different thing
2: it's I don't a reputation. It's E D E L M A N. Yeah, okay. yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. super interesting. <laughs> I know sometimes people ask if I'm related. I say no. It's E D E L M A N. Right. Right. But they do, and they have tracked this for, for quite some time, almost I think twenty years or so. Um, but uh, we fell from you know, up, you know, I think you know, number six on the list to dead last last year, and the big drop was wow. in, but, right was in media and was in government. And so, you know, without getting into politics or anything that's going on out there, you can see that uh, Americans are feeling feeling like the trust has plummeted in this country. And the byproduct of that for corporate America, which I think dovetails into your show right here and the topic of dollars and change, is in that vacuum of moral authority, people are expecting companies to step in and, and take the lead and solve problems that were formerly the purview of governments or academics mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. thought leaders. And we saw that vacuum. We, we appreciated it. We thought we had real integrity and credibility in the hunger space and in the waste space. And we decided to put this big goal out there, which is our zero hunger, zero waste commitment, and that is to end hunger in our communities and eliminate waste across the company by 2025. And there are several pieces of it. You mentioned, Nick, the uh, Innovation Fund. We have real commitments we have put as part of the forward-looking Zero Hunger, Zero Waste plan. And um, this one around the Innovation Fund is pretty cool. We're putting $10 million away. I run the Kroger Co. Foundation, but we're actually in the process of creating a totally new foundation called the Zero Hunger, Zero Waste Foundation. And we're incorporating it as a public charity so we can give to more than just nonprofits. The Kroger Co. Foundation, we can only give to 5013Cs. But with the new Zero Hunger, Zero Waste Foundation for the $10 million, we're going to be able to give to startups, we're going to be able to give to individuals, um, because we believe that the innovation isn't only coming from nonprofits, it's coming from the private sector. And that's exactly the theme of your show. Yeah. So, So we're changing our way of doing things to match the reality, which is business is expected to lead in today's world.
2: Right. Jessica, when you talk about hunger in the United States, and this is a subject that i and that I teach, and we, we explore a lot of both for profit and non profit interventions in this space and really, food yeah, security food security right so or insecurity. there's a lot of conversation that in the United States, there aren't so many people who are actually hungry in the sense of not having enough calories. But there are plenty of people who are huge, you know, a number of people who are food insecure, who uh, can't, af- you know, who worry about what they, whether they can afford food, whether they're, they're going to get their next meal. Do I feed my kids a healthy diet, or do I pay my rent? I can't possibly do both. Um, and so, a, a part of the, the the challenge, and that's why food insecurity and poverty in the United States is actually associated with diabetes, which can be very counterintuitive, right? You can be quite overweight because you're buying cheap calories. That's all you can afford. Um, so, how are you thinking about driving uh, healthy food uh, to to poorer communities where food insecurity is really the the problem?
0: Yeah, great question. And that that nexus and that polarity you just described is exactly why I think Zero Hunger, Zero Waste is is so interesting intellectually in some ways because it deals with those dichotomies, which is you know one in eight. Americans is food insecure, but yet we throw forty percent of the food that's manufactured and, and created in this com- in this country away. You have people who are food insecure, but yet obese or dealing with diabetes, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, you know we were kind of the first group that or organization to put those two ideas to, together and say food waste undermines food security, but also look at these weird polarities and these weird dichotomies so for us part of the plan part of your hunger's Zero waste plan we mentioned the ten million dollar innovation fund we're going to accelerate our donations we're going to give a 3 billion meals by 2025 we've we've done a billion over the past four years we're going to pick up the pace and we're going to donate more but to your question we're not going to just donate more calories and more food we're going to donate balanced meals and we are upping the numbers of our fresh donations, mm-hmm. and working really hard to get stores to donate from all five of our fresh departments in the stores to the food pantries. So that is a big goal. It's not just to dump more food into into the system or offload food that we you know we didn't sell by the right date, et cetera. The goal is to donate more food but better food as well from all five of our fresh departments. And that's that's a big effort for us, and we're really committed to it.
2: Jessica, can I get you as uh, as an expert in the food industry to clarify a few things for our listeners? So one of them is this... Let's, let's unpack the notion of, of wasted food a, a little bit. Um, so food gets uh, thrown away, given away... Comes off the shelves of Kroger grocery stores um, when it you know uh, when it, it, there's an expiration date or a sell-by date that suggests it come should come off the the shelves. Um, I, I assume that's correct. Uh, if it does, if it's not coming off the shelves because people are buying it, um, so you know what are the what do those dates mean? Um, mm-hmm. You know, because they're on everything, right? They're, they're. I mean, they're. All, I think they can be. On, you know, they can be on soup cans. They can be on Coca Cola bottles. like you know, certainly on meat, on milk, and so on. What do those dates actually mean? How? Do we, yeah. What do they mean? Yeah.
0: So that is a great question, and actually another big piece of our Zero Hunger Zero Waste plan is to advocate for public policy solutions to address hunger and food waste. Mm-hmm. So date labeling, I think, is is the tip of the spear. For, for that public policy issue. Um, we have a couple different ways people go about it in America. One is a safety assignation, which is around sell buy, mm-hmm. which means you know it is safe until XYZ or our safety and food safety protocols require us to do mm-hmm. it by a certain date depending on the, the, the product and, and the uh, protocol. Mm-hmm. Then there's also this category of best buy. Yeah. Most delicious if you eat it by a certain date or peak freshness, et cetera.
2: And there's a big difference,
0: obviously. It's so um, interesting
2: because I have to say that even as somebody who knows, you know, first of all, I'm a professor, I pay attention a lot of attention to words. Second of all, I've done stuff, you know, I've read a, a good bit about food insecurity. And I don't think I ever pondered the difference between sell-by and best-by. And I don't know that, you know, and if if I haven't, I'm just guessing most consumers don't pay attention to.
1: Not to pat myself on the back.
2: But you did. But I will
1: a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I did only because I think <laughs> living at home with my, my husband, I feel like I tend to not throw things out. I'm like, wait, no, it says Best Buy. It doesn't mean it, that it, does, it's expired. Yeah,
2: got it. Got it. Yeah. All Perfect. right. So there's Sell by. There's Best Buy. Are there other labels that we should be, there yeah. other wordings? Yeah, no, those are the two big ones. And Nick, I have to applaud
0: you. You know, we always my, in my household. There's there's always one zero hero in the household, right, when it comes <laughs> to food uh, Having spent my whole career in the food industry, my, people like my husband will leave things out, and and I'll say, oh yeah, don't 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 worry about that. We can eat that for another whole week. You know, he looks at me like I'm crazy. So good for you for being a zero hero and reading the label, but. You know, we we want to be involved in better public policy on this topic. And actually, I was just meeting with our group vice president for manufacturing. She's in charge of all of our plants um, across the country, and uh, which really you know, makes her one of the most senior women in manufacturing in the world. Um, but she and I were sitting down. She also happens to be on the board for Feeding America. She's a mm. board mm. member. And food safety rolls up under her. So I love it when people say, oh, well, the, it's a food safety issue. And I'm like, well, maybe let's just ask Erin if it's a food safety issue because she's on the board of Feeding America, and she's the one who can make stuff happen. And, you know, I love that we've put somebody on the board who also can, rather than tell you all the reasons that we can't donate something, we'll remove all the barriers so that we can right? Um, so she and I were just meeting and talking about our, our brands. We, we have a huge Kroger brand. We have Simple Truth which was the, is the largest natural and organic brand in America right now, and then we have private selection, and we want to get harmonized and we want to get better about talking to consumers about what do those labels mean so that we are not contributing to a cycle of waste.
2: Yeah, so interesting. Uh, so Jessica, when we at the the, uh, the beginning of the show, we were speaking with Minwan Zhao, Professor Zhao, uh, Associate Professor of Management here at Wharton, who's been doing research on corporate ph- uh, philanthropy, and looking primarily at um, you know U.S. corporations that have foundations. I uh, imagine you're in the uh, Kroger's in the data set. Um, so looking at large large corporate foundations and where they give internationally, um, and why. Um, it sounds like you it's, my my guess is your your current work is more focused on the United States zero hunger zero waste than internationally I don't know if that's true, so maybe you could tell us you know to what extent is this a domestic focus or an international focus as you think about this campaign Num- number one and then number two I'd, um well I'll, I'll, let me let me ask you that question first and then I got another question for you to follow up but first so, international or domestic
0: Kroger is it is exclusively domestic because of our footprint. So last year we gave about three hundred and fifty-eight million dollars in charitable giving back to our communities, and that was all kept within the U.S.
2: Got it. Okay, and and what what Min, Mao's, Min Wan's research shows is that there's a, a clear link, or she you know they established what appears to be a very clear link between corporate philanthropy and corporate strategy. That when corporations are giving internationally. Um, they're often giving to countries where they are just starting to do work. They are giving to countries that, as she said, are a little iffier. Uh, it's a little more opaque, a little poorer governance. And and the research suge- suggests, yes, this is about making an impact, but it's also about understanding a community and that there are benefits, uh, you know, in and in, in another country that there are clear benefits for the, the corporation. So how do you think about the link between... You know, yes, the Kroger Foundation is committed to doing good. Yes, you're committed to reducing food insecurity and food waste in this country. What's the the benefit for the company in, in doing this work?
0: Yeah, well, and I, I love I love that the notion of effectively pre-competitive environments, right? Mm. And when I was in agriculture, much like the professor you, you had on in, on the show earlier, we thought a lot about uh, going over a multinational because so often it was access to credit to buy the seeds to be able to even start to grow the crops, right? So there mm-hmm. was a, a big pre-competitive aspect where your philanthropy was was very conducive to mm-hmm. your strategy mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: i think you can apply the same logic here certainly within the us um you know in different slightly you know, different nuance but the way we think a lot about it at the kroger co is around license to operate and mm-hmm. are we trusted partners in communities and mm-hmm. are we welcome and invited in to the communities To be able to build a store requires a lot of zoning and permits, Mm -hmm. and the neighborhood and, and the town and the mayors and the councils, they have to want Kroger there. And I fundamentally believe that through Zero Hunger, Zero Waste and being more effective at telling our story about how we are ending hunger in our communities and eliminating waste across the company over time, communities are going to want us there, they're going to invite us in, mm-hmm. they're going to want to have a Kroger the, as their grocery store or their grocery experience in their communities because we exist for more than just the bottom line, we right. exist for social impact as well.
2: Right. So interesting. It very much corroborates the kind of research that our uh, colleague at the Wharton School, I don't know if he was here when you were here, uh, when you were a student here, Viet Hennish has been doing uh, research uh, internationally. Some of his research has looked particularly at gold mines and, you know, essentially the same notion you're describing of license to operate when, you're, when you own a, a, a gold mines around the world. Um, your community relations, the extent to which the community sees you as a good employer, makes a huge difference in your ability to, I mean, actually extract gold and make a profit. So you're, you're describing a very similar process, but not in gold mines around the world, but in local communities. So it's fas- fascinating. Mm
0: -hmm. And that talent piece is so important because increasingly people want to go to work for a company that has a larger purpose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the war for talent is quite real, particularly with unemployment at all times, low rates. So in order for us to keep 453,000 people to run what's a really complicated organization, we know that this cuts through zero hunger, zero waste, and our social impact cuts through uh, in the war for talent. So just increasingly people are going to want to shop with Work for and partner with organizations where values match those of their own.
2: So, so Jessica, uh, we're coming to the end of the segment. We're going to need to sign off in just a sec. But um, as you look ahead, and we know, you know, as, as, a, as a Warden student, you know all about the power of goal setting uh, and and uh, precise metrics. So, as you look ahead to your uh, you know zero waste, zero hunger campaign. You know what's a milestone you hope to, research, to reach within a year, two years? You said the timeline for impact. How will you know that, that that this campaign is actually making a difference?
0: Yeah, so we have broken it down, working backwards from 2025 um, into year by year goals. So for 2018, on the Zero Hunger side, we want to have 100 percent store participation in our Zero Hunger, Zero Waste Food Rescue Program. I mentioned having. Our stores donating from all five fresh departments, that's mm-hmm. the metric. Um, we want to tick that up. Then, on the zero waste side, we want to um, get those last two manufacturing plants to zero waste. They're right there on the edge. And then we also want to get our retail footprint, our stores, um, up at a higher waste diversion rate. Um, right now, we started the year at 59%. Um, our goal for the year is to 68%, and we're halfway there. So that's quite, that's quite great. good. Um, that's great. Yeah. So, you know, we've been really rigorous about setting metrics. I, I definitely got the message when I was at Wharton that, you know, what we measure <laughs> matters. Right. And yes. otherwise, it's all just roofy stuff. Um, so my team knows not to just bring me theories. They have to bring me data and insights
2: that's great that's how we go that is great well Jessica thank you so much for being with us Jessica Edelman is the group vice president of corporate affairs at the Kroger company thanks for listening this is Catherine Klein on
1: dollars and change for more guest interviews check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play